What's up, everybody? Good morning, everybody. One of, if not the greatest guitarists of all time, rock and peace, Eddie Van Halen. The privilege was always ours. So stoked I got to see you and the band live. Well, coming off a heavy loss of the one and only Eddie Van Halen, I'm Schmitty, and this is Talking Schmidt. I mean, face it, kids, we lost arguably the best guitarist and best drummer of all time in the same year. In my ongoing attempt to keep my community up, though, I dug deep this week for the third skater of the year of all time. That's right. There was Tony Hawk, there was Danny Way, and then there was this guy, Salman Aga. Salman grew up in NorCal got on PAL early and was a staple for real skateboards in their developing years. And let's face it, if you're really going to call someone the switch god, I think you got to give the title to my next guest. What happened was I pushed Mongo when I started skating. So I did learn how to push the other way. But then once I learned to nollie, I was like, oh, shit, if I go backwards and push Mongo, I'm going to be skating backwards. And that's how it happened. That was it. I just clicked. And, I, and, it, and it looked normal because I already knew how to push. This is episode 93, so we just have seven more till the big 100 and Tommy G episode. I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen after that, but I do think I will take a little hiatus with the SOTI and end-of-the-year stuff happening at Thrasher. Things will definitely be heating up. Been throwing around the idea of coming back with a 2020 Potty Awards program and then kicking back into an every two weeks drop afterwards. But like I said, nothing is set in stone. So, you know, as always, I would love to hear your suggestions and everything. If somebody, nah, I won't even go there. <laughs> but I really appreciate all of you that have been giving me positive comments, both the Jeff Ament and the Tim Kerr episodes really seem to please many of you and can't thank them both enough for spending their time with us. After talking with Jeff and Farmer a bit, I decided to make a greatest rock and roll band bracket of 64. I'm thinking I fill it out. I put the sheet up on talkingschmidt.com. You that are interested can download that, fill it out, get them back to me in a reasonable amount of time. And then I'll do a head-to-head -head competition on my Instagram stories that everyone can vote on and see who closest to winning, uh, you know, kind of like a basketball tournament. And I don't know, we'll give out some prizes to the top three or something like that. I don't know, figuring it out, but could be fun. Just trying, you know, pandemic times. Let's have some fun though, huh? Uh, anywho, this week's episode was really fun uh, for me, catching up with my old friend and talking about many topics. Also, there's a giveaway in the middle of the show for a brand new jacket from our friends at Derby of San Francisco. Uh, I think it's going to be exactly like this one, you know, charcoal gray. If you're in the San Francisco area, they have a store at 1472 Hate Street. Go by and visit them, uh, pick up a jacket, a beanie, some stickers, or just say hi and that Talking Schmidt sent you over there. 
friendly people working and classic gear. Man, I love Derby. I've been repping it since probably mid eighties. I'm claiming 86, 87 is probably my first day, first Derby. Here's my guest to take you through the intro. It's. Hey, this is Salman Aga and you're listening to or watching Talking Schmidt, the sickest fucking podcast on the podcast world stage. It's cool, like tonight is the night. Here we go again. Just give it the old cause time, isn't it? All big dogs in. Schmitty. 96 times, Schmitty. Thanks, Schmitty. We on? Schmitty. Talking Schmidt. That's called go to the hospital, bitch. I be <laughs> shit my pants. Yeah, Rolodex is fucking deep. It's right. about the one. The one. The one. Who's this guy? Thinks he's tough shit. What's up? We're tastemakers. Come on, Schmitty. What the fuck? Let's hear it for Greg Smith. Yeah! Uh, hello, everybody, and welcome. The message is perfectly simple and the meaning is clear. The momentum is building, and we are just seven episodes away from the big numero 100, Mr. Tommy Guerrero. I'm really excited about that. So, to help hype up this momentous once in a lifetime endeavor, I dove into my Rolodex and dug out this legendary bro. He was Skater of the Year in 1993, and his Sodi party was the first Skater of the Year party I ever attended. Let's give a huge digital applause to the one and only Salman Aga. Oh my God. What's up, Salman? <laughs> hear that applause? Yeah, that was fantastic. That was like pandemonium. <laughs> yeah. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm really good. I just... I'm sitting in my uh, space shuttle and uh, command station, and I'm just hanging out talking to you. It's good to see you, dude. I know you too. <laughs> are you? At, where, where are you? Are you at home? Yeah, you, I'm, I'm, sure. make, I'm making my little uh, home studio. I got, I got my dead guy section over here. I got skate shops here. I got my fiance back oh, there. Phil. Wow, that's oh. Tobin. Like early, like hardly any. Like two graffiti. That's I know. Yeah, that's back in the fucking day, dude. Uh -huh. That's so good. Yeah. yeah, and then Jake at the dish. Can you imagine Phil right now? Every time I go anywhere new, that's the first thing I think. Yeah, I'm like, oh fuck, what would Phil? I remember, do? I remember Phil and Chris Sin and I. We yeah, like for a couple years we skated in some of the Burt contests together at some of the street like at. Slam City and right. Tampa and I don't know. It was cool. I always loved Phil. Yeah, fuck me too. Guy, this was incredible. Yeah, he was fucked. I know, and it's well, crazy that like Jake like that were like, you know, he was so underrated, but he was basically better at skating than everybody. Um, even in the streets, you know, he was super technical and fast and just beautiful to watch. Yeah, style. It was funny. I, I told this story before, but uh, basically he broke his leg and he was not skating for a while. And he, 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 he broke his leg as a vert skater, came mm -hmm. back from the broken leg, a street skater doing nolly flips. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was insane. He just... Watch Mike Carroll in slow mo over and over every day while he was like laid up, 
yeah. then he learned how to do shit. And it was like, oh man, you're so special. Like, how the fuck? I know. Yo, so you've been listening to the podcast. It is really good. I have to say, I listened to some of them and watched some of them. And when I first listened to it, I thought, wow, man, the production quality of this is cool. You know, it's, I don't know. I, a lot of podcasts, it's just a conversation. Then I hear your wife and then it, I don't know. It has a lot of depth in the production. I thought it was, I was in, very impressed. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, McKenny loves adding his two cents. Mm-hmm. He really, he's, I can't believe like we lost him for 13 years wow. and he came back just like he rediscovered everything for the first time. Like he's on fire again. And so every Tuesday he texts me at like 5 a.m. He's like, I'm listening. He's commenting. It's just like, he's hyped. It's McKinney, dude. He is a ruler. Yeah. I I remember, uh, I think we were filming for one of the black label videos and we were up there somewhere and there was that kind of flat, long square rail in, San Marcos or Belmont or no, somewhere. Burlingame. Yeah. Burlingame and I yeah. fucking shit. It was like 10 in the morning, dude. And I like tried to frontside board slide that thing. And then Tim was there and uh, he might have 50 50 it that morning. I think he did. But uh, I just remember catching my wheel. You know, wheels were small enough still to where there was a gap between the wheel and the board. And I that's where I locked my wheel up on that rail and just got fucking tossed to the bottom. But he, he did yeah. tell me about that. Yeah. It's, that was a fun one. Is, uh, the pizza place open? Yeah, we're open. We've been fortunate to be open, uh, throughout all of the social upheaval and virus pandemic upheaval. And, uh, yeah, we're one of the lucky ones. I think a lot of pizzerias probably around the country feel like I do just, we were already very much set up for what a lot of restaurants had to pivot into, which is takeout and delivery and all that. So um, we already do all that. So we're, we're lucky. We've been in business the whole time. Okay. Have you noticed that a certain kid up in Northern California opened up a pizza place? Raymond's Mr. Brad Stable. Yeah. What do you Uh, think about that? I think it's cool. I actually, um, I remember one time Brad was down here visiting. We're drinking beer next door together, hanging out. And he was just telling me how much he loved pizza. And I think he had expressed some ambition at that time to open up a pizzeria. And I think it's rad. I love the idea of um, just more skateboarders, you know, sort of embracing their creative and entrepreneurial sort of spirit and just doing it, man. It's, you know, a lot of work and, um, just the fact that someone, you know, anyone that can get a store open, that's a big deal. And, um, I've seen what they make and I can tell he loves it because their product his his pizza looks incredible. Yeah. You haven't had it yet. You haven't been up. Well, I was in the Bay area a couple times and, you know, we just weren't, you know, it's just with my kids, it was, hard to justify driving a couple hours to get over there, but, um, I plan to get over there. I mean, it looks just incredible. Yeah. I'm assuming your day off. The last thing you're thinking is pizza. (laughs) I'm kind of a pizza fiend too, you know? So, I mean, I could eat pizza every day. I probably, I have, 
for like the last 10 years. Right. He, his is, his is really good. Um, he has these things called garlic knots that uh, I can't stress enough how good they are. Like yeah. I always have like, those. yeah, we have them too over okay. here, but right. yeah, there is everything he makes looks incredible. I mean, yeah. you can tell that he is, uh, like hardcore from the heart pizza guy. I think he, he kind of does that with, I mean, you're the same way. If you're going to do something, why would you half ass it? Like, we got to do it the best we can. We got to learn. We got to fucking just keep improving. Like if every day's stagnant, then fuck. Yeah, dude, of course. And like, that's a cool thing about, um, anything I think skaters do. I've always thought it's just like another trick, you know, it's a, you know, these tricks are a little more complicated because they involve health departments and building and safety and, you know, vendors and, you know, whatever, all the stuff that no one really cares about, like well, shit we don't care about. We just want to make cool pizza, but, um, mm. yeah, it's, it's rad. It's rad to see him doing it. And, uh, shit, he should, we should open one, right. We should open them next to each other somewhere and just, you know, just create like a whole pizza world. Well, yeah. I was thinking, what if you guys did a collab in like San Luis Obispo, like midway in between? <laughs> Around, like Central Coast. <laughs> yeah. Raymond halfway down, halfway up, just boom. <laughs> Raymondista or something, I don't know. Yeah, Raymond's Pizzanista. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, let's get into the early days of like what drew you to skateboarding. Like, w were you in San Jose when you discovered skateboarding? Where, where were you? I was actually, um, I grew up in Virginia mm. and I was, I was actually born in Washington, DC. And, um, shortly after I was born, uh, we've moved to Alexandria, which is in Fairfax County in Virginia. And I actually got my first board in ocean city, Maryland. I got a little red, um, plastic board with the urethane wheels and, um, I just remember, and I think I've shared this story before, but I, I just remember being mesmerized because we were on the boardwalk in Ocean City and we walked into a store and there was a square counter area with like a person in the middle of it and hanging up all around it were skateboards. And I just remember walking in and I was just instantly hypnotized by what I was seeing and the bo I didn't get one of those boards there were these really beautiful wood boards with shiny silver trucks and red wheels and um, I just wanted one so bad I must have been about four or five and I ended up getting a red plastic skateboard and my parents were divorced at the time and my dad basically bought it for me we brought it home and it went in a closet and I didn't see it for, I don't, I mean, it felt like I didn't see it for years, but you know, probably a few months later, um, I had a babysitter. Her name was Wanda, a really beautiful lady. She had this amazing Afro and like bell bottoms and like, she was kind of like hippie disco chick. And I told her, I go, Hey, um, there's a skateboard in that closet can you can you get it down and so we started riding it together <laughs> no and man. so she and my brother and myself we would you know i lived in a place called telegraph hills and there were speed bumps and 
they were these hills and we would ride down the hills and just try to make it over the speed bumps without eating shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had this. And I remember what I loved about Wanda is she, the way she, I, I skated, I think I skated with my feet over the bolts, you know, and it came pretty natural for me in terms of balance, but she rode with the board like one foot straight and then the other foot behind it like that. And I thought it was funny. It's <laughs> the way she rode. Her feet made like a T, but I can see her balancing on it right now in my head. But that was pretty much my first introduction okay. to skating. And how and long I, were you out there? I lived there till we, I was about eight or nine. Hmm. And then we we moved around a bit, and then we ended up in uh, Los Altos Hills. Okay. I had a cousin that lived there. And when my dad and my brother and I moved to California, we were broke. And so we lived with some family and I don't think I got another skateboard until I reconnected with my mom in like 1981. And I just found a skateboard in her garage in Westwood down in LA. It was a marble fiberglass free spirit skateboard. And it had a guy you know, and a little circle logo said free spirit. And the guy was hanging 10 on it, like surfing on a okay. surfboard. Right. And that was my next board. And I, you know, anytime I had a skateboard, I was inseparable from it. You know, I just love to feel the wheels rolling. That was just, a, I don't know, from a very young age, I just really loved the idea of rolling and I just felt really free doing it, you know? Right, yeah. When you moved to Los Altos Hills, is that kind of – did you live near Jacob Rosenberg? Did you meet him because you lived in the same area or no? No, actually, um, I didn't meet Jacob till later. Okay. Yeah, not till you know, I was a teenager, and we had yeah. moved to South San Jose at that time. But, yeah, yeah. I didn't meet him till later. Uh, okay. Know, just being part of the whole kind of NorCal skate scene. Mm-hmm. And yo- and kind of the younger side of that scene, you know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. Who were like some of the guys that, as you started kind of like understanding that this was its world and stuff, who were some of the guys that you gravitated towards? Like, do you remember seeing someone in a magazine or a, I don't think there was videos really necessarily, but like maybe like a, a board or like a graphic or something that you were like, uh, like early on? Yeah, so early on, um, there were these kids that went to our church. Um, My dad got remarried, and we started going to this church, and uh, there were this family called the Huttons, and there was this guy Mark and Matt Hutton, and they had the worst ramp known in the history of man in their (laughs) I mean... There were so many kinks in it, and it was just so poorly built. It was two horrible. by four trannies. Oh, it was just yeah, it was all that. It was just so bad. But they had that, you know. And um, I just remember, I want to say the first thing I ever saw was Terror at Tahoe. Oh yeah, the video, and we were watching that, and I started realizing that oh, there's people skateboard, and like I didn't know anything, you know. I just thought. Sure. 
it's just this toy. But, you know, I saw these guys and I saw a vert ramp and catching air and I was like, holy shit, I want to do that, you know? Right. And uh, there were some guys that lived in the area that were um, really good skaters, like Mike Yosefer, Joe Spolero, huh. Mike Danko. Those were all in my immediate neighborhood. So those are the guys that I immediately idolized. Oh, uh, okay. You know, and Yosefer went to my high school Wow. So, you know, and then Ray Barbie, I learned about Ray Barbie and Robert Torres. Oh yeah. Robert Torres. What happened to that yeah. dude? I don't know. I he think was he was hip hop and dancing and stuff and wow. maybe PD, but I don't, I don't, I really don't know. Right. But those were kind of the really early influences um, and just people that were accessible, you know, um, so yeah, those were the guys. I mean, I used to, Joe Spolero lived right across the street from my uh, junior high school. So, you know, I'd see him out there. I didn't even know who he was. I heard, I learned who he was later, but I'd be leaving school and he's like, Hey, like I'd be on a skateboard. He's like, Hey, you want to buy these wheels? And he had OJ team riders. They, just, you know, no one even had them yet. And he'd sell them to me for five bucks. Oh, damn. So I was just stoked to get a set of new wheels that were, and you remember how cool those were? Those OJ team riders, those were, no one had them. You had to be on the team. Right. Yeah. Remember so, they used to have shirts too. I think pal or somebody had them that you couldn't get that said like either official team rider or team rider. Yeah. Or like factory or something. Yeah. Like that was the shit. You're like, uh, ah, yeah. even a sticker was insane. Like how do I get the like authorized dealer sticker? Oh yeah. And yeah. the thing is like, there was no media. I mean, there was Thrasher, right? And there was yeah, Transworld. The, the escape, uh, there was no real media. You know what I mean? There was nothing to, you know. I remember seeing, uh, I don't know, later on, there was like that NXS video. And I think Gons did a board slide on a bench or something in it. And I would just try to find that. Like, I just wanted to see that over and over and over. Yeah. And it was nothing. Like, if you look at that clip, it's totally dark and it's barely anything. But it meant everything to be able to see something. Uh-huh. You know? And what was what was your shop? Like, was Sessions around then or was there a ski shop? Sessions, Sessions was around, but I wasn't privy to that yet. So it was Bremick. It's Bremick oh, in Los Gatos and Ghostgate. Those okay. were the two shops. Right. And later on, there was NC, which oh, yeah. I think is still around. Yep. Um, but Sessions was the shop. I mean, Sessions was, for lack of a better analogy, like the supreme of the 80s because, you know, Hensley, Chris Miller, Cab, Ray, yeah. I mean, all the best guys rode for Sessions. Right. You know, so I wanted to be on that too, you know, or I just wanted to go there, you know. So we used to go to Sunnyvale and go skate under that, the bank, the, I don't know, what was that place called? The Wave? The Wave. Yeah, we'd skate the Wave and yeah. Fish Banks. and Fish Banks was so Memorex. sick. Remember Memorex? Yeah. All, we used to go take the train or the bus or whatever, however, 
you know? Yeah, you would see cab would always be for us the f first either video part or something in a mag where you'd be like, that's in San Jose, we got to find it. And yeah. then you would like, and I've asked people this repeatedly because my, my memory doesn't remember, but like, how did we know how to take four buses to get to Memorex Banks? How did we know where it was? Like, it's I insane. I can still remember the bus numbers. Like, we <laughs> take the 70, the 63, or the 27 to the 63, or yeah. the 64. We, I, we had them wired. Yeah, know? we would have to go to Redwood City, transfer buses, then go down to, uh, like, through Mountain View to somewhere close to um, San Jose and then get on something else, and that would take us to Montague. Yeah. I remember that. Oh, it, Montague, yeah. Yeah, but it was like, I can't even find Montague now. <laughs> like, how did I do it then? I think it's gone. Okay. I think, yeah. the airport, I think the airport probably swallowed it up or something. Right. I remember, like, I think I was trying to figure out when I first kind of recognized you was um, maybe at the spine ramp in Saratoga. Do you remember that? Yeah. Spine ramp? I think yeah. like Doug Smith skated there a lot. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Yes. Simon, like, it, Simon would skate there, Doug Smith. Right. Um, I don't think it lasted very long, but um, yeah, I would go there every day. I actually, I was of the age where I was conscious enough to just leave high. I was in high school, so I would just cut school and leave and just skate that ramp. Oh, sick. Most of the day. There know? was so many good mini ramps back then. Like they exploded throughout, like from San Jose to maybe San Mateo or something. I think there was at least 10 like really good ones. Oh, yeah. And you would like, like I'd go to Mountain View and then like you'd see Mike Carroll climbing over the fence and you'd be like, oh, shit, Mike Carroll's here. You know, like you're young, like I've seen these guys. I don't know exactly who they are, but I know they're the dudes, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah, no, I know. Those, I don't know. Those times are so nostalgic, I guess I, I should say, because um, now with the way media is, of course, there's really no surprises, you know? And yeah. I remember, you know, I can distinctly remember taking Caltrain to San Francisco and, you know, we were in junior high maybe, or we maybe we just started high school, but, you know, we met up with Danny Sargent. I didn't know. I mean, I knew the name. I didn't really know who he was, but I was like, holy shit. And then next thing you know, we're with like Mike and Greg and, Nick and Joey and Rick and Ibiseta and uh, Javante and like there's this like 20 kids just skating around the city uh -huh. um, and then skating China Banks, skating brown marble benches, skating down the hills, ending up at EMB. Uh, it was insane, you know, and that's how we, you know, became friends. Right. It was through that's real experience. Yeah, just through showing up somewhere and having a common interest. Yeah. At a time when that interest was not interesting to most people. Exactly. <laughs> most kids, anyway. You know? Yeah, no. And then sure. seeing those guys, I mean, when I saw, I mean, my, seeing Mike and Henry, you know, skate for the first time just fucking blew my mind. And <laughs> Javante, you know? Yeah. And Javante. And all, all kinds of other guys. You know, Mon fucking Phil Schell, uh, Mickey, Julian, like just yeah. 
seeing all these. Uh, it was insane. Yeah, Rick, Archimedes, Jake, all everyone, Luke, Tobin, fucking Brian Ferdinand. You know, just the list goes on and on. Right. Fell Street, dude. Fucking skating Fell Street. That ramp was insane. <laughs> I just love going there. You know, we'd be there at night drinking 40s. You know, I can remember like fucking Brian Ferdinand doing blunt fakies like in the dark, like on that crazy extension. I mean, just it was insane. Oh, man. And all that was new, you know? It was all new. Yeah. Tricks were new. Friends were new. Uh, being in the city with that energy at the time, it was really raw. It was all, it was fantastic. Yeah. I mean, the city was going off too. There was so, I mean, it's still a great city, but back then, like it wasn't so expensive. So tons of skaters were living here, you know? Oh yeah. They've kind of like had to move elsewhere since the boom. But uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just a playground. You're like, wait, hills, there's a ramp, there's fucking, banks those brick banks that were like up against the uh, wall i forget what they're called but like jehovah would always skate them there's like a planner and they went up at an uh, angle oh yeah yeah and, and then there was there was a fuck what was the name of that one bank to wall spot down in this like in the financial district it was uh i don't know Nottis had a photo there i don't remember anyway i don't know we skated fucking everything yeah you know? we were everywhere was was your first um, experience with like free stuff? Was that a skate shop or like who who hooked you up for the first time? Um, I want to say yeah, I think so. I think Simon Woodstock hooked me up first. Huh. I think that's how it happened. Like I rode for yeah, I think I rode for which is funny because we always had like this. I I don't feel like we had a rivalry, but he always was like competing with me somehow really? yeah he offered me winchester skate shop oh. when he had a shop and uh that was in campbell and then tim Payne came out to build the san jose warehouse the original one mm-hmm. and i must have been 15 or 16 and i was down you know dude i was like a fiend for whatever was happening so i knew that shit was happening so i was down there the second I was out of school, I was down there, fucking put a hammer in my hand, a drill. I helped build the ramps. Tim Payne was rad, dude. I mean, I had never seen a production like that where a guy came in and basically just had the knowledge to build whatever it was they were going to build, knew how to do it, and knew how to employ like an army of guys that probably didn't really know what they were doing, but could instruct them to, it was insane. Yeah. I mean, was I was the master. Yeah. So cab was calling me right now. That's kind of cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> so cab. Yeah. So we, a uh, little name drop shout out. <laughs> so I got to help build the San Jose warehouse and this is leading into part of what you just asked me but the day it was done you know Corey o'brien was like get the fuck out of here you can't fucking skate here i was like what i just fucking helped build this shit you know what i mean so i couldn't skate there you know i was fucking barred because i was a little kid and it was new and i think you know looking back i can sympathize with not how harsh that was to be treated that way but certainly with 
understanding the idea that those guys were older. They wanted that place to themselves. It wasn't a public skate park yet. Well, what was the deal with it? Was Corey financially behind it or did Santa Cruz do it for them? I never really understood. I think the second one, Corey and some friends kind of financially backed, but was the first one like that too? I think the first one was just Corey and Kendall. Oh, okay. And I think they paid for it. And I think that, so what happened was, because I ended up paying to skate there. It was 120 bucks, I think, for... I don't know if that was for a month. I don't remember. And I don't remember how long I did that for, but uh, my understanding was that they paid for it. And then a lot of the guys that ended up skating there were sponsored and their sponsors paid for them to be able to skate there. And uh, eventually I was able to skate in there. And uh, Joe Lopes was the dude that hooked me up. That was the first time I actually got hooked up by like not, Simon. It was like an actual pro skater. I walked in. I remember I walked into the warehouse one day. I can remember it clear as day. I had my pads. I was going to skate the spine ramp. And Joe walks up to me. He's like, hey, you get boards? And I was like, nope. Or I said, no. I was kind of shy. I didn't say it like that. I was like, no. And he's like, well, you do now. And he handed me five brand new Schmidt sticks, Joe Lopes boards. The barbecue. I was so stoked. No way. How rad. So stoked. And, you know, he was hooked up with Mike Rector. So Rector would, you know, he'd always show up in his van again. He had like one of those Winnebago's and he would open it up and he'd be box pads for everybody. You know? Yeah. And then, dude, of course I met everyone that skated at that time skated there. Yeah. And people traveling came through there too. Yeah. I met everyone. I remember, I mean, I saw Ellis recently and i was like dude i remember when those guys came greg valentine and jason ellis and i swear jason ellis could do like fucking eight foot high frontside ollies on that ramp he was a beast dude i was just like oh my god and i can remember they had those snake pit stickers it was like yeah. some from australia right dude, ross goodman ross oh my goodman was god. so sick you know dude, who was there never, every never time i went there was namba Oh, yeah, Jim Namba. Oh. <laughs> it was just like poetry in motion. And they would try to hit the beam on the vert ramp. Yeah. 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 I remember Fabriker, dude. He could do fast plants and fucking tail tap his tail off that beam, dude. Fab was sick. Yeah, he was just like a fireball of energy. And then Style, Max, when he was coming up, you right. know, I remember skating with Max there. Wade, all those like Danville dudes. Oh, yeah. Ray Dillon, uh, Ben, yeah, Warren, uh, Eric Turbo, and like yeah, Noah Slaznik. Yeah, dude. Oh yeah, that, those uh, times were the best. Yeah, I mean that was basically everyone that skated in California. <laughs> yeah, they're just like, you know. Shit. I remember meeting Gons, Jason, Jesse, at there, uh, dude, Grosso. Yeah, all everyone, dude. Oh insane. wow. Yeah. Oh man, that's amazing. Yeah, and then the second one they had um that's when I was a little more into like okay, I've been skating a while, I get it. Like mm-hmm. I feel like I can like be in public now. <laughs> and uh yeah, I saw Cardiel for the first time trying backflips on that little embankment thing and mm-hmm. I was like, "What the fuck is that guy doing?" And they're like, "That's John Cardiel." Like they already knew he was He's coming. Oh, yeah. You're going to know about this guy. 
Yeah. It was insane. You know how the, John was? Yeah. It's so tiny. Yeah. Just this little lanky, skinny, like spitfire, dude. I mean, yeah. Oh, so, is that around Schroeder, the time? Schroeder, dude, Schroeder oh. at the original warehouse was fucking insane. On a spine, and there's Tab, just Kendall, all those dudes, man. They all, it was incredible. Mm, yeah, no, uh, Ben Schroeder on a spine was like, look out. Yeah, Wade. Yeah, yeah, Wade. I had the privilege of. I started working for Think, so I got to film a lot with Wade and go on trips and got to know him well. And it was like, I was telling this story before, but it's a good one. Like I'm driving to Sacramento, the indoor, the grind, I think it was. And mm -hmm. uh, me and Phil picked up Wade. And so it's the three of us and I'm driving. And the conversation is just me listening to Phil asking Wade how to pump two corners of a bowl like I want to grind through both corners and like Wade kind of teach it and then go in there and watch him Phil learn it with Wade. Like, it's like that shit is like forever. You know, you're like, Holy shit. Yeah. So, and they did and they yeah. did it. Yeah. So yeah. good. Magical. Oh man. Um, and you're, so when, uh, Joe Lopes gives you those boards, is that just kind of like a flow or do you kind of get, sponsored by them for a minute yeah no it was just him flowing me boards okay well he was just you know stoked to hook me up with boards and uh yeah that's that was basically it i just got some boards from him for a while and then uh yeah i didn't sponsor it i was still riding for what ended up happening is i think greg carroll you know we've mostly street skated so greg carroll I want to say took over the whole venture program, becoming team manager or assistant right. team manager or something like that. And so, you know, being younger and kind of having his eye on the future of street skating and whatever being something, it's funny because all the older guys hated the fact that we street skated and actually liked doing it. You know, I mean, it, it didn't mean anything you know, cause it was all on the ground. Um, yeah. but it was cool because guys like Greg were like, Oh yeah, this is cool. And these kids do this. And so venture, I got sponsored by venture. Oh, okay. that was my first real, like that was my first actual sponsor where someone sent something to me in the mail to my house. You remember getting it? Oh my God. Yeah, dude. I remember getting it. I'm like, Ermico. I'm like, what is Ermico? <laughs> you know? You know, it's just crazy. It's just all the mystery of like, what's Ermico? It was like a white label with the blue writing and like the address. And I'm like, Ermico? Never heard of that, you know? And then, of course, we learned what all those things were later on. But it was so cool. Oh, man. And just the smell of like, I remember getting the stickers, like the Awake stickers and the little V with the wings. And yeah, it was changed my life, man. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's like if... It's like being on a sailboat and fucking a big gust of wind comes through, you know, it just pushes you along, you know? Yeah. So when you, when you get that first, like the venture box, does that kind of like motivate you, make you hungrier? Like, Hey, I, I, I want to get a board sponsor. I want to get wheel spot. Like I can get, I can get this going. Like, did that like really take your confidence to the next level? You know, 
I always knew I was going to do, I always, I don't want to sound arrogant, but, or cocky, but I always knew I was going to be successful, mm. whatever that means. You know, I always knew I was going to make it or because I didn't have any other choice. You know, it's like, I was not good at school. I was not good at socializing. I was a transplant from a different cultural background being Iranian during the hostage crisis uh, living in America with all that prejudice I was different looking I was all these things that sort of like where skateboarding took where where in the real world or the conventional world all that stuff worked against me in skateboarding it all helped me because I was my own person and you know, I always knew I was going to be something and do good. I didn't know to what degree, but I knew that I knew I wanted to be great at something and I love skateboarding and it just, so I didn't really need that, but, um, it didn't hurt, you know, yeah. just validated something I already knew even though I could never articulate it at that time. But to me, it was life and death, man. It was like either fucking, it was three things. Do what I did at the time to be a pro skater and be part of this scene, go to jail or be dead. Those are the <laughs> options. So it just, I didn't have a choice, you know? I mean, I had choices, but those were the essentially the three because I wasn't going to go to college. I wasn't going to, you know, I was talking to someone earlier today. I never even thought I'd live to be 48. You know, I'm 48. You know, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't actually think I would be alive at this time, you know. So, yeah, it was very much life or death, you know. Mm. So, yeah, it was fucking heavy, you know, journey. But um, I loved it, man. I love there. I still love it. I love every minute of it. You have to. <laughs> you know. So is Pal kind of the – First one? Powell? Yeah, so then I got hooked up. So being in San Jose, I, you know, I'm... Cab? Cab was just a natural connection through... So there were six guys that I grew up with. Eric Goodwin, Brian Gallagher, Tom Miller, Mike Miller, um, John Gilbreth, and... Maybe it's just five. Oh, Sam Moore. Six. I think those were the six. So the six of us were essentially allowed to skate this mini ramp at Tom and Mike Miller's house that we built. And Sam and I stole a majority of the wood from all these construction sites around San Jose yeah. to build it. And that's how I met a lot of these older guys because Cab would come skate. I think Klaus Grobke skated there once, uh. Corey O'Brien, you know, all these guys would come. We, we had a, you know, I think it was a 12 or 16 foot wide mini ramp of PVC coping with a horrible layer of wood in some backyard in South San Jose. And it attracted the best, some of the best skaters at the time, you know, Persanko, these guys would all come skate and yeah, it was fucking rad, you know? So, uh, um, yeah, I ended up hooking up with cab and 
you know, we developed a friendship and that's how I got sponsored by Powell. Actually, Javante and I were together when Cab was filming for Public Domain. Stacy came up to film with Cab. Cab invited us to come hang out. We went to Buena Vista. I was there that day when they filmed that part. Oh. Yeah. And Javante was there. And then we did some street skating. And later on that day, Stacy said to Javante and I, he said, how would you kids like to ride for the Bones Brigade? And that was that. Damn. And Javante had a sick sponsor me video at the time. I never had one. Oh. But Javante's tape was, if someone could get there, you should see if you can get your hands on that. Because that sponsor me tape, and it was to Eggman, Beastie Boys. Uh-huh. It was incredible. Oh, that would be a sick So was Tommy already on, uh, pal? Oh, yeah. Tommy was fully pro. So like Tommy, you knew of Tommy? Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Tommy was, I mean, I rode his board. Um, I know Javante rode his board. Debo uh, hmm. was on Powell, and and all the Powell guys. So Lance had these guys down south. You know, Guy, Rudy, Gabriel, Paulo. I was kind of like Cab's dude, and then Tommy had Javante. Ah, okay. So everyone was kind of they had the had some young dudes they were helping out or supporting. You know? Right. Okay. So we all became the young part of the bones brigade and then there was like chet thomas steve size some other so eric sanderson uh brandon chapman all those guys were all on at the same mm. time well did you meet tommy with jim for the first time or did separately dude first time i saw tommy was in i want to say maybe 1987 jeff hedges and these dudes uh did a halloween contest at some park in Santa or school in San Jose. And so we went, you know, I don't even know if I skated in the contest, but we went and dude, I remember Tommy showed up and they had the jump ramp to wall. And dude, he did the front side wall ride, mute air off one eighty. Yeah. fucking blew my mind. <laughs> Ray was there. That was one of the times that I got to skate with Ray. And I, I, I mean, I became a Ray Barbie clone, dude. Anatomic uh-huh. Pearl. I mean, those two in particular were so part of my psyche of, like, how to skateboard at the time. Okay. But, yeah, I remember seeing Tommy there. And then I don't think I met him until a year or so later, like, at some, I don't know, skating in the city or he would come to the warehouse too. He would come to the San Jose warehouse and then we would go down to Powell for different functions. They would invite us down to skate their park. Yeah. Um, Sick park. Oh yeah. Okay. (laughs) And so then when you're on Powell, do you get to know Tommy pretty well? I'm wondering, did, did you kind of go to real because through Tommy going, did it happen all together or how did that work? Well, yeah. So, Tommy, you know, that whole thing happened, right? The demise of these big skate brands like Powell, Vision, Santa Cruz, mm-hmm. right around 89, 90. Um, and I was going to ride for Dogtown, actually. Oh. You know, I've been talking to Keith Cochran and Red Dog, and, you know, I think there was a lot of 
shit in the air at the time, right? Because all these people wrote for these big companies that were, you know, yeah. the economy. I mean, now I can look back and go, okay, yeah. So the California economy took a fucking dump, right? And these companies expanded and people ran out of money and no one was buying skateboards. And then Rocco came along and these guys quit and street skating. There was all this shit happening, you know, all at once that led to sort of like the skateboard idea shrinking in the minds of kids all around the world. So not for me, I was fucking hooked for life, but, um, Tommy was at the warehouse. I remember it distinctly. He was going up the stairs and I was riding a Ray Barbie. So what I used to do is I used to take, Hal would send me these boards. I couldn't stand the concave. It was too steep. So I used to take the tail. I would drill the rear holes up into the middle, more, more to the center of the board. And then I'd cut off a quarter or half an inch of the tail to flatten it. Huh. And you know, so my board looked kind of fucked up because I would cut it. And I had a router and I would do all this stuff to make it how I wanted. And Tommy was tripping out on my shit. He was like, what is that? You know? <laughs> so he basically was like, yo, if you ever need boards, like hit me up, you know, I'll, I'll set you up with some boards. And so, um, I just started going to the city and I would skate with Tommy and Jim all the time. And, uh, they were starting real. I wasn't part of it originally it was tony henry Corey chrysler henry sanchez sluggo and tommy and jim i think that's it and then uh i don't know somehow shortly thereafter when propaganda came out after that video i was off i quit powell and i kind of wasn't i didn't know what i was going to do and then i got on real okay did yeah. you, you and Mandoli come over as a package deal? No, Sean came later. He came later? Yeah, I was on for like a year, and then Rolly Mandoli came. <laughs> I was always trying to get my friends sponsored. You know, I tried to get Jason, Adams, Sean Mandoli, Edward DeVera, Tim Brosh. Like, I wanted us all to, you know, we kind of, you know, there was all these people that skated, and as everyone got older, like the guys that got better and were kind of, getting sponsored, it all kind of distilled, you know, we had different sub scenes within our skate scene and it all distilled down into like, Oh, okay, well these are the five guys that still skate. So we're all friends now, you know? So that was kind of became our de facto crew. Right. Crazy Eddie, Eddie yeah. Nemeth, uh, Mike Jones, you know, these are all the guys that like kept skating. Right. Okay. Yeah, I was trying to get all those guys on real, but you know, you can only have so many people on one team. <laughs> uh, so is it about 92-ish that um, you start skating Switch? I think it was a little earlier, probably a little earlier than that. I mean, I don't, you know, it was not really uh, – much in the way of documentation, but right. Uh, you know, I saw Nottis. What happened was I saw Nottis in San Francisco at Brown Marble Benches one day. We just happened to come out from EMB. I was, I might have been with Jim, and then we came around the corner and fucking Nottis is skating there. 
probably wasn't a surprise for Jim, but it surprised the shit out of me. And uh, I saw him nolly, boom, up the bench. And I thought to myself, holy shit, did you do that? Like, up a bench from the nose? Uh-huh. So that just blew my mind. Like, that just sent my whole thinking about what was possible in a whole new direction. And I just became obsessed with that. And shortly after that, I think I hurt my ankle. This must have been around 1990, 91, before 91, because it was before I turned pro, I was already skating backwards. Um, I turned pro the summer of 91. So because I remember I went to Europe and I was already doing switch shit like in my runs uh, during that time. But yeah, I just, what happened was I pushed Mongo when I started skating. So I did learn how to push the other way. But then once I learned to nollie, I was like, oh shit, if I go backwards and push Mongo, I'm going to be skating backwards. Okay. And that's how it happened. That was it. I just clicked and I was, and it, and it looked normal because I already knew how to push. Okay. I got this crazy idea theory <clears throat> and you're kind of feeding into it more by what you're saying. I'm kind of thinking you started skating switch and then you realized that you were the opposite stance and switch was actually your regular because here's what I was tripping on. When I saw you skating, like uh, it was like 93 back to the city contest, like that era, mm-hmm. you, to me, I couldn't tell which way you skated, but it seemed like skating switch almost looked more natural to you. Yeah. And so we always were like, I think he just starts skating the wrong way. <laughs> well, I definitely pushed Mongo, but you know, what's funny. I'll uh-huh. tell you what's funny in my own personal experience. And I bet a lot of guys like Guy, Costin, Carol, Henry, guys that became really good at skating switch. Um, shit, there's so many of them now. But what I'm trying to make is that, you know, when you're first learning a trick, your regular stance, it's it takes time. It's hard, you know, but not to say it's not hard to learn switch, but to relearn it, knowing all the mechanics of how it works, it's like you can almost you can do it better, you know? I don't know. It was weird. Like, my switch flip for the longest time was much better than my regular kick flip. I don't know. It just worked better. You know? Right. And it looked better, I thought, you know? But um, Yeah, I think so, too. Like, that's kind of what I was saying is it just seemed almost natural for you to be skating yeah. switch. Yeah, I don't know. It just was, I don't know. It was a necessity. It was definitely necessity at the time. I feel like, you know, I think back to like how I thought my thought process back then is, I mean, you can probably attest to this being in skateboarding media, but there's a point in, I don't know, skateboarding where like shit just gets homogenized, you know, like it just becomes, you know, whether it be trends or shit becomes the same or I don't know. There was, I feel like in the eighties there was like a emphasis on celebrating like all these fucking weird people that skated and this individuality. And I think that over time, you know, not to say that 
it's totally lost, but I feel like in a way it's gone away from that somewhat and we don't celebrate that as much, but mm -hmm. I, I, I want to say I consciously thought about those things when I was young and I thought, I just, I want to be different. Like different is different is good. Right. You know, be like everything else that's out there. So, you know, I think there was some conscious thought in my idea of how I wanted to skate. And there were other things that were just natural limitations. Like I was a big kid, you know, and right. You know, I didn't ever want to touch my board. I didn't like reaching down to grab my board. I didn't want to, I wanted to do everything with my feet. I wanted to catch it. You know, there's just little things like that that played a role in, you know, how I wanted to skate. But the biggest thing was I just didn't want to be, I didn't want to be perceived as either following or being like something else. That's all. Yeah. Okay. I wanted to be doing my own shit. One of my favorite uh, quotes is, uh, I think it was King of the Road maybe. And it's like about an ABD and you're just like, not in this body. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. It's true, man, because, I mean, that alone is a big deal, you know, because I'm, you know, I'm, I skate still. I'm 220, dude. I'm six foot 220. That's a big dude yeah. to be on a skateboard. And, right. yeah, I challenge these little guys to get in my body and try to do one of these tricks. It's a, it's a lot of, it takes a lot of effort, mental and physical. And not for nothing, but when you fall, it's a lot more powerful. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, guys like JJ, Schroeder, you know, Grosso. I mean, you know, when you hit the ground, man, it fucking hurts, you know, on yeah. a whole different, you know. We don't have bird bones. Our bones are made of concrete. Um, 93, Skater of the Year. Mm -hmm. how does that play out for you because um actually that's you know it's funny because i look back and that was the first skater of the year party i ever went to mm -hmm. i knew about some i grew up in the barrier my whole life but i inched my way and finally got in i think probably phil or somebody got me in yeah. and they had the mini ramp and I, I i was just like this is insane like does it get better than this like is doing like i'd never really seen him skate a mini ramp probably at that point and like all the front side grind of fakies and all that stuff that yeah. he does and i just remember it so clearly but i'm wondering from your perspective because now that i've worked for the mag and seen skater of the year and how it obviously it's way different now but at that time for you, how did it kind of fall into your lap? Like, does it happen out of nowhere where you just get a phone call one day or like there had been what, uh, three, not that many skater of the years. Yeah. It was Tony, Tony Hawk, Danny way, Danny way. And I think cardio and then you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very early on, very early on. You know, um, it was a big deal, obviously. Um, I think knowing where I came from and arriving at that moment, you know, was a huge pinnacle for me because I grew up very much displaced and disconnected from, you know, a lot of the traditional or conventional 
things that most kids are involved with, you know, like school and sports and all that. I don't know. You know, I came from a broken home. Sure. You know, just traveling, you know, as a kid. Um, so, you know, and it meant a lot to me to just be part of skateboarding in the sense that I belonged in that community um, to some degree or to the degree that I do. And uh, yeah, I was a huge deal, you know, it was really pivotal and it was kind of very difficult too for me at the same time because, you know, I, I mean, just to just tell you the story. So we, I was with Jeff Clint and Kevin Ansel and we're in a box van with all of Deluxe's trade show uh, set up for like ASL. Uh-huh. Yeah, so we we're driving to San Diego, and I'm driving, and Ansel's in the middle, and Jeff's over here in the passenger seat, and, you know, I just see this head pop. You know, I'm driving, and this head pops out like this and looks over, and it's Jeff, and he says to me, so a little backstory on Clint. When I wanted to, when I went to get on real, he without mincing words told Tommy and Jim, I don't see what, I don't see it. Like, I don't think he has what it takes to be sponsored, you know? And, um, he didn't want me on the team. I don't know even how I got on to be honest with you. So then fast forward, um, a couple years later, and not even, yeah, a couple years later, and I'm sitting in a van with him, and he looks over at me, and he's like, how does it feel? And I said, how does what feel? And he says, well, how does it feel to be Salmanaga? And I'm like, what is that supposed to mean? You know, and Ansel's sitting in the middle of the van laughing, you know, and he was always so sweet to me. He's like a big brother, you know? Ah. And, uh, yeah, and they told me right there. Jeff told me he's like, "You're you're you're skater. You're going to be skater of the year." And I was like, "What the f like? What is that? What I was like, what does that even mean?" <laughs> you know? Okay, and, you, you're not even super aware of what it is. No, I had no clue. I had no, you know, I think people vie for that now. Yeah, I had no intentions or thought, or nor did I even perceive myself as being of the stature to receive that type of accolade from my peers yet. You know, okay. it's like, yeah. I want this. I still felt like I was learning how to skate, you know? So, um, it was a bit shocking, you know? Um, I wasn't upset about it, but it was, you know, I was so young. I was 21 years old, you know? Wow. And, uh, what was your relationship with Jake? Like at that point, had you got to know him well yet or not really? I mean, I didn't really know him that well. I obviously skated with him here and there. You know, he I'd skate Studio 43, and I, we may have traveled some. I don't remember. Hmm. Maybe we went on a hell ride or two. Before? Maybe. Okay. But I don't recall. But uh, I don't know. Jake always was, you know, Jake – <laughs> to me and everybody else but um i don't know we always had a really uh a connection and a cool you know a good relationship totally but 
I I didn't hear from Jake. It didn't. I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't like Jake. Didn't say anything to me until I came to the party. Did Jake give you the trophy at the party? I don't remember the presentation. I think, I think he did. Okay. I think we were on yeah, the ramp. Yeah, because there's a photo, I think. Yeah, we were on the ramp, and he did hand me my trophy. Yeah. Okay. Wow, that's so surreal, sweet. man. It was surreal. It was a surreal moment, you know? And I, you know, in hindsight, I don't regret any of it, but I would have liked to have probably gotten that when I was 31. Hmm. <laughs> you know? A little more wisdom, a little more track. Yeah, I don't know. Just you know, I felt like it's like uh, I felt like it stunted my growth a little bit. Oh, I see. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of the opportunities that came with it were taboo at the time. You know, right? And I wasn't in a. I didn't have enough emotional intelligence at the time to actually understand how to even navigate through some of that stuff. So I became a little bit turned off by it all. I mean, you couldn't snap into a slim gym back then. Like, like all these like I mean, uh, I Gatorade or like whatever, all this stuff. That yeah. I mean, a lot of the sponsors that, you know, people have now that wasn't, you know, skateboarding wasn't of the mindset to have a big M it looked like some monster scratched it on your board. I mean, that just was not fucking happening. <laughs> exactly. You know? I mean, I don't know. I, I'm pretty sick and tired of seeing that stuff anyway, but you know, every generation does things differently and I'm happy that, you know, these kids can make money and they're on a whole nother level. Mm. So yeah. it doesn't matter to me, you know, skateboarding is not is for us for me it's my it's my own thing what i want it to be i don't have to conform to that yeah it's interesting because i was talking to a musician about music and i feel the same way about skateboarding and i i just have this issue where it's like uh when nirvana blew up all of a sudden i didn't like them as much anymore because regular people like them and uh skateboarding did the exact same thing skateboarding blew up but we're we're life we have you know we're not going anywhere we kind of yeah. have to adapt to like these new situations that maybe were taboo back when we started and and uh maybe it's growth for us personally to adjust with the times or maybe we just have to bite it and hold it into ourselves our thoughts but it's a tricky one for sure because people that have lived in multiple generations can see where today's world isn't yesteryears but if you think about like education when you're young and you're learning the most that's the stuff you hold on to so it's mm -hmm. only right that the older generation thinks that what they were doing 15 years ago is the way to do it and yeah. these people telling them now that gravitated towards something that they built are saying no that's not it you're like, fuck you guys. I built this shit. This shit didn't exist until we did it. So how are you going to tell me how to, we're Dogtown. Like, yeah, we had crosses. Like, that's what we did. Yeah. Deal with it. Why'd you come here? And so all that stuff is so fucking, you know, we all, I think, have our hiccups. Yeah, I think the thing that I guess upsets me, not that I sit here and ruminate on it all day long, but the thing that upsets me is that I feel like, 
skateboarding built some really neat brands from the bottom up, you know, like Soltech and DC and Lakai and, you know, um, I don't know. I just look at the footwear side of it, you know, and it's like, I like the, I want those brands to exist and thrive. You know, it's, yeah. I feel like Nike and Converse and, you know, New Balance and these other brands, they have a large enough market share with their balls and sticks. You know, they don't have to be involved in skateboarding and same with like the power drinks, you know, um, I think just as a parent, you know, whatever, like sex, drugs, and rock and roll, skateboarding is hardcore, but, yeah, you know, I guess the thing is, it's not so much what those drinks are or what's in them. It's more that, you know, you see it every, it's, it's on NASCAR. It's on, there's nothing special about it. You know what I mean? I feel like skateboarding had enough power and enough passion to build these brands and to communicate a culture that's so interesting and rich to like the world. But instead we didn't support those things. We said, no, we'll just buy into this because these people have money now. Well, I mean, Soltech could have been a, a billion dollar company. It was on its way. Right. You know, DC. I don't know. I feel like, Skateboarding was on its way to building brands that could rival these sort of traditional brands. And instead of, I don't know, putting support behind that, the companies just took the money. And I don't know. I, I, have a, I, I think there's a problem with that. And long term, this is what we have to live with now. You know, yeah. There's no artistic value in an M or a swoosh or any of those. They, they don't have that value. You know, right. the value that Lakai, you know, girl, Mike Carroll, Rick Howard, Spike Jones, and the legacy that they built through the media and the tricks that they invented and like that group of people, they should be the ones that have a bigger voice to me. Absolutely. Uh, not some corporate yeah. giant that I, I just don't, I, that's my, I, I have no issue with like voicing that, you know, I feel that's who I think should have been. I feel the same way. I mean, you look at Don Brown, you look at Mike Carroll, you look at, uh, you know, Damon way and these guys that, like, yeah. you know, like, and the other thing on top of that is uh, not to go too much on a shoe tangent, but when these like Lakai skateboarding is their top priority mm -hmm. you can't say that about converse nike or new balance skateboarding is never going to be their top priority like michael jordan is like insane above any paul rodriguez costin or any of that stuff tiger woods you know so it's just it is a tricky one but it's also not my bank account you know <laughs> like I get it that some people need to like be set and secure and all that stuff, but it, it's interesting. I, no, but just think about how powerful it would have been if the P rods and the Ishads and the whatever, like back in whatever, just, I'm not right. I, I, nothing against like the fact that they've gone that route. I, it's not my preference, but right. it would be so powerful if Nigel and all these guys said, no, we're going to ride for skate brands those brands would sell 
just as many shoes to all these young people because the skaters are the ones that have the influence, you know? Yeah. No, you're right. And they could be part of those brands. And I don't know. Okay. I just, that's all. No, you're right. A really powerful statement to the world to say, no, we're skaters and we support these skater owned companies that already have like distribution all over the world, you know, mm-hmm. but whatever. I don't know. I tripped the fuck out, like walking into a skate shop and it's just like Nike, Converse, Adidas. I'm like, I don't recognize any of these companies. <laughs> yeah. Companies. I don't. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. It's interesting. It's kind of crazy that the skateboard decks have almost gone the opposite way. Whereas like the big skateboard brands are, you know, maybe the welcomes and these different like uh, fucking awesomes that are way more core and, and not the big, like, I mean, NHS is probably doing great, whatever, but uh, I don't know if pal is, but you know, the smaller brands seem to be the cooler ones for the core audience. Whereas the shoes have gone the opposite way with that. So I have no idea. I mean, I don't buy anything, so I don't have no clue. Well, that's the thing too, right? It's like, yeah, it's easy to sit back and be that guy, but. um, And I don't have any like, you know, it's not like I'm, it doesn't matter to me really. I just think it would be, I just like skate stuff. That's all. I just like, and I like my friends. I like to see my friends and people that I grew up skating with do well. And, And I'm happy to see these young skaters that are just incredible I wish I could. I, I envision doing all that stuff, but my body doesn't allow it. Hey, let's take a quick little break and hear from some of our friends, and we will be right back. Hey, it's Corey at Blue Plate, 3218 Mission Street. Come see us. Meatloaf, fried chicken, deviled eggs, Dollar Olympia beers. We're here every day of the week. We got a garden, and we got smiles on our faces. Come let us make you happy. Really excited to bring you this week's giveaway. This week, we're going to hold it for two weeks. Two weeks, because it's a pretty big one. I'm excited. Our new friends at Derby of San Francisco are giving away this jacket. And for me, it is a big one. We got our new friends at Derby of San Francisco offering up your size in this current charcoal gray colored derby jacket just like the one i'm wearing this is the one you you take this down to Petrero skate park you take it to soma you take it to the clubs you take it on your bike ride you take it wherever you go you're gonna get respect people love the derby it's a classic it's legendary it's uh, it's like the Golden Gate Bridge, Levi's, Sourdough Bread, or uh, It's It's. They are currently making a new color each month or so and pumping them out of San Francisco up on Haight Street. So you know I'm backing them. Actually, I've been backing Derby since my grandpa was wearing them in the 70s. Okay, so here's how you do this. We're going to have a drawing we're gonna pick a winner out of a cup out of a hat whatever i tried to make this as easy as i could for all y'all so here's how you enter the drawing all you have to do is email me talking schmidt at gmail.com that's t-a-l-k-i-n 
S-C-H-M-I-T at gmail.com with your name and jacket size and put, I want that derby in the subject line. So that's your name, your jacket size. I want that derby in the subject line. Hell, throw in the city and state you live in and email me, talkingschmidt at gmail.com. We are going to announce the winner in two weeks. I want to get a lot of people entering this one. This is like a $150 jacket. And I think they're going to throw in some stickers, a beanie, or, you know, we'll throw in a Talking Schmidt shirt too, you know? We'll, we'll, we'll juice it up for you. So come on, enter this contest. And in two weeks, I'll announce the winner. Derby of San Francisco. Kids. I got mine. It's time for you to get yours. Hey, yo, what it is, though? It's the boy Be Legit. San Quinn, Black Sea, Rich Rich. Y'all you know I mean? I'm on the block where the sun up for sundown. A couple pounds on the clip for the 40 round. I hit the town like where's that? What it do? You come through and get a few for the 32. 33, 34, there's still a go. And real niggas know the double back by the dough. You can do the snow, but I'm gonna do the green. Real niggas on the team like the move me. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. First Impression with Timothy Donald McKenney. First impressions of the Switch Master and pretty much the originator of it in the sense of how much sprack you can put into it. It's Solomon Aga. And it's uh, gotta be at EMB. Uh, and he was on a James Kelch, the original James Kelch. With the United, I thought it was, he said Delta, shit, I thought it was United Airlines, because that's what my dad worked for, and it reminded me, oh, that's United, but like, he's probably right, it's the Delta, with the kid and his arms flared out, and Solomon's riding that board, and he switched kick-flipping everything, up the blocks, just popped, popped higher than anyone's doing it regular, and that's my idea of him. Later, I got to uh, snowboard with him because he was hanging out with uh, my buddy Bowshouse's girl. So I think we went down south to snowboard with him. And he's always was just a genuine, low-key dude with the mellowest energy you could possibly imagine, with the biggest sprack, uh, blunt to nose smacks, Nolly 180 Norse. Who's doing Nolly 180 Switch Norse? You know what I mean? Who's doing that? Uh, there's multiple things. Uh, switch frontside slides across whole blocks. Uh, he came to San Mateo with Adams, Jai Tanju, uh, Chet, and, and the crew, and he tried to first try frontside slide. 
the 16 stair in Hillsborough, took a front side flip to an elbow and blasted his elbow, bloody as shit, didn't even flinch, just kept kicking it. Uh, shout out to you, Solomon. Ledgy, straight ledge. You got to tell me one good Hellride story. Good Hellride story? Like your first time on Hellride, maybe? Like, were you scared out of your, like, is it great? Had you traveling with Jake and was Coco there? Like, who's the crew? Like, you know, what made it hell? <laughs> or was it not really hell? Oh, yeah, it was always hell. Um, <laughs> dude, I remember we were in Mission. I think I was at Julian's and... We're all sitting there drinking beers and hanging out. This is before we even left. You know, we're just hanging out. Joey's there, Coco, Julian, and I don't know. I just sitting there and all of a sudden, like, a three-quarter full can of beer is, like, being projected across the room at full speed. I can't remember if it – I think it was Julian – maybe throwing it at Coco or vice versa. I don't know. There was just some heat in the air and I was like, holy shit, you know? It felt like two old dogs that ended up in the same room and they were both rabid and ornery and they kind of sized each other up and some shit flew and then it just dissipated. You know what I mean? Like, they were like, okay, it's cool. <laughs> and then next day, we're on the plane. You know, I think we went to Australia. It was me, Joey, Andy, Jake, Cardio. Oh, right. That's the one that was in the Thrasher video, right? Where Coco just lit the whole thing on fire? Like, oh, yeah. he was just killing it? Oh, yeah. Coco was on fire. And the, the crazy thing about that trip was like, you know, so I was, you know, on the tail end of sort of my – you know, I had very much got involved with like the Christian church and, you know, had this whole spiritual awakening at the time. And I was very much sober and just kind of like on this straight and narrow. So I was like this, you know, I was like the priest or like this angel, like amongst devils, you know, <laughs> tour, you know. So what's crazy, the crazy thing is like we get there and, I just remember we were going to skate Pizzy Park one night and it, you know, we didn't leave to go there until like 11 at night, you know, and I was tired, but like Jake, Coco, Julian, Joey, John, everyone had all this energy. And I was just like, I, it didn't register that like, I don't know if they were on shrooms or acid or what, but I'm just tripping out. The net, you know, I'm thinking like, how the fuck do these guys have so much energy, dude? Like I'm ready to go to sleep. Anyhow, we get to, we push for miles. We get to, uh, Fitzroy, I think it was called, or no, Pizzy Park up in the Gold Coast. And dude, we found so much brush and wood and just built the fucking hugest bonfire in the middle of this bowl and then proceeded to skate that thing for like a couple hours. It was an insane session. Right. No cameras, I don't think. Just us skating, and then we pushed another 10 miles, it felt like, to the beach. And I think we all just ended up naked, like, on the <laughs> beach, like, in the water, 
That was amazing. That was so amazing. But I just remember several times on that trip feeling like, I don't know how these dudes have so much energy, but I put it together later, what was going on. But anyway, it was an incredible trip. Of course, there were altercations along the way with innocent bystanders amongst ourselves. There um, always is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, broken glasses, broken teeth, broken hearts. <laughs> oh man. Broken egos. Well, I know that, uh, I worked with Jake every day and he didn't have a lot of people in his life that he talked, uh, positively about. And you were one of the people for sure that like was high on his list as like solid dude, I know he always like wanted to kind of stay in touch with you throughout time and like you were on his mind and stuff. And I don't know, I feel like it's kind of part of my responsibility to tell people because I think I saw a version of Jake that not a lot of people did. And I got to hear him kind of saying exactly what he wanted at the mag about the whole industry. Mm-hmm. And we all know there's a lot of people he hated. There's a lot of people he talked shit on. But like certain guys like yourself are ones that like, I mean, the time you came and we did the thing at Double Rock, like those moments, like you can even just see it as a guy who hangs out with them every day that yeah. he's a little more stoked, like, oh, Solomon's here. And he'll try to play it down like, oh, Cardiel's coming by today. But then he gets there and you see the little kid in him. And there's these guys that he has and, and you're definitely one of them. So I think it's important to let you know that. And, uh, you know, I, I, as somebody that was hot, I was drawn to Thrasher because of Jake. Like yeah. I worked there because of him. He gave me the job. When Phil died, he approached me and said, you're working at Thrasher. So when he's gone now and skateboarding is different and what it, you know, we've talked about how we see all that stuff. It's just, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say here is I need help in, in, in kind of like, still holding our guns and still believing in what you believe in and like, but not becoming that guy and also not becoming like the old stale negative guy. But like, I'm a squeaky wheel because fuck dude, Jake's gone. Otherwise he'd be the squeaky wheel, you know? And uh, so I don't know, like there's some people you can talk to and kind of just, you don't even have to say anything, but you can understand what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And, uh, those things are just tough, man. As we get older, I think skateboarding's obviously a kid's thing, you know, but it's also cool. Like you said, we didn't know we were going to be alive at 50 and hell did we think we were going to still be skating at 50. Yeah. So like, give us a break. Like, you know, we're fucking up here and there, but we're trying. And uh, I don't know. It's just been, it's been tough with all the, everything going on really pandemics you know not making it easier but like people losing all these people and just everything kind of just like turned you into my therapist for a minute real quick Mm -hmm. (laughs) but i just i don't know those are some of the things that are weighing on me in 2020 is just like who's gonna call out the fucking you know the kook who's gonna like say no that's bullshit i think it's important and i think it's a person that's missing very clearly in the life that i grew up knowing you know arco could help with that yeah 
I mean, I called some, called out some bullshit on this show. I'm not, you know, like I'm not a bitter guy. I'm just going to say it's bullshit. You know, I like seeing skateboarders do well, but I like also seeing, you know, the enterprising skateboarders see their enterprises flourish and that's all, you know? Okay. And I think that, you know, I think that, you know, that needs to be said. I don't think people, I don't think we should lose sight of the fact that, you know, skateboarders did, you know, create some, uh, uh, sort of a cultural phenomenon that's special and that's unrivaled, I think, you know, in the world. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to, um, hold on to or perpetuate. I, I shouldn't say hold on to, I should say perpetuate, those principles throughout time because you know the things that make skateboarding interesting and unique and special haven't changed and that's kind of the constant message i i, I remind myself on like i like people that are fucked up and weird and i would like to see more of them involved in skateboarding yeah that's all i like that shit you know i like seeing all the different individuals and weirdness and some of those people are robotic and can do crazy tricks and whatever. And I appreciate that. And some of them are just purely these personalities and artistic expression and creation that just is something that I find so fascinating about skateboarding, you know? Well, if you're looking over, this is probably a real tough question, but I'm just going to throw it out there. If you have an answer, I'm not sure, but Looking over all of skateboarding, the history, does Solomon have a top three or top five dudes that are like the epitome of a skateboarder? Oh, well, yeah, it's kind of like, it's funny because I like racing, you know, different types of racing, motorcycle racing, and mm. I've been watching the pro motocross nationals, and it's funny because they ask the young guys coming up, there's like, they say, who's on your Mount Rushmore of... right. Of, of motocross racers, you know, okay. who's your top four. Yeah. You know, but, um, man, it's just hard to say because, you know, there's so many people that I think have influenced me personally, but, um, you know, there's different times where, like, certain skaters had different meaning to me, but... Um, I think the all-time best street skater from my era was Henry Sanchez. I think he epitomized power, progression, style. I mean, he, you know, skating with Henry was just, he was just unreal. You know, I just never saw anyone with that type of, he had so much control for that time. And anyone can go watch videos from back then Tim and Henry's is so sick yeah, so you know I love Henry Sanchez um Gons you know is on my top of my list um Julian is someone I just always loved um Cardiel uh I don't know. My list is not five. <laughs> yeah, is, it'll go on. My list is not five. Brian Ferdinand. I just, I mean, people probably don't even know who Brian Ferdinand is, but, you know, ah. I love Brian Ferdinand. And, you know, his approach to skating was so spontaneous and raw. Um, so, I don't know. There's five guys that I think were amazing, you know. But there's five, five, 50 more that I could say that, you know. 
Danny Way won the Skater of the Year twice. Chris mm-hmm. Cole won the Skater of the Year twice. Do you think either of them are in your top ten? Oh, for sure, Danny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Chris Cole is an amazing skater. I don't relate to him. Right. He's a really nice person. I've met him several times, um, and he's beyond incredible. But um, it's just, you know, my the guys that I think should be that would be in my list predate his uh, entry into skateboarding, I would say. Okay. Do you, you've been in LA for a while. Do you, do you still kind of have a, a connection to NorCal? Do you feel like that, you know, the vibe of the NorCal vibe or are you full LA guy now? I don't know. Do you look at my pizza box right there? You see that? <laughs> Hella. Hella fresh, bro. <laughs> <laughs> that is a straight up paying homage to my NorCal roots right there. But yeah, I do. You know, I mean, it's changed, man. You know, Northern California has changed a lot. I mean, it's certainly the beauties there, but I don't know. The rawness is not the same, really, I don't think, in a way. But uh, I couldn't believe Caballero left San Jose. That was I huge. I know. That's crazy. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm a, I'm a um, citizen of the world, dude. I'm, yeah. world, I'm a citizen of the world. I'm, I, I love the world that we live in. It's beautiful. I find my connection to the world, you know, essentially. And I don't, I trip out on people who are attached to geography in that sense, but um, mm. I'm just part of this world. And, you know, I like being in different parts of it. And I feel a connection to all of it. Do you want to maybe give a little bit of advice? Like, you talked earlier about um, having like, you know, racial tension coming over from Iran and all that stuff. Obviously, tw- right now is insane with all that's going on. Yeah. Do you do you in your mind have a way that like we as humans should be progressing and and do like what we could be doing to make a better society? In my mind, I'm like, how do we get everyone to be closer to the middle it's not this like get the fuck like civil war or some shit you know i don't know i was listening to uh edward snowden on uh joe rogan's podcast i you know i'll I'll find different things i really have been interested in following tyson because i'm a huge tyson fan and he's gonna he's gonna fight again that's insane you know i'm honestly like i mean not to go off on a tangent but you know, I looked up that guy, Brad Rowe, who's his trainer, who's into all this like cryotherapy and all these recovery therapies. Cause I was like, I mean, I can't afford stuff like that, but man, I would love to not because I'm a jock, but I would love to get my hands on or to be able to have access to that type of recovery technology that Tyson has, because I don't know if you've watched him train, but I mean, he looks like he's 20 years old, you know? Oh, really? Oh, dude. Oh, I got to check it. He's my favorite. He looks insane. Oh, good. He looks insane. He's got some unfinished business. (laughs) He looks, and you should listen to him talk about it because it's really interesting. And he's so intelligent, but he, the thing with me is like, I skated, you know, I try to skate 
often, you know, but the problem is like, it takes time for the, my body to recover. I'm almost 50, you know? So like Tyson saying he trains every day, bars every day. Oh, shit. He has access to this recovery technology. It's like some of it's electronic, some of it's cryotherapy where they, you know, you get into these cold chambers. Some of it's like having access to equipment. Like he's using this, uh, um, treadmill that he goes on that like you get into these shorts where you don't, you have no weight on the treadmill. So you're not putting any weight on your joints. Like you're in a pool or something. Something like, I don't know. He's just, it's cool. Cause I'm like, fuck man, if I could skate for, I was talking to cab the other day. I was like, imagine if you could skate for five or six hours a day and do that every day. How yeah. sick would that be? Yeah. I would be soaked. I can't do that. Yeah. I want to, but I need that recovery. So anyway, anyway, that's a tangent. I was listening to Snowden to answer your question. I can't articulate what he was saying to Rogan, but I think if I would encourage anyone, I would say have a listen to his interview towards the end. They discussed this question that you asked me specifically, and I found a lot of resonation with what he was talking about in terms of how we go away, get away from politicizing and polarizing right. and canceling and vilifying anyone that just doesn't think exactly how we do. Cause what two people actually, <laughs> it's you know, a, it's there's crazy. a lot that we agree on, but we're focusing on the shit that we're nitpicking, you know? Right. And you know, and it just sucks, man. It sucks, you know? Well, and we, I think that's the thing he talks about. It's like, we need to get back to like the principles of, I don't know. I can't articulate it, but point I'm trying to make is like, you know, I'm an Iranian American. You know, when I look at my life experience and where I could have been versus where I ended up, it's, scary you know it's scary it actually is scary and so i have a high level of appreciation for what america as a idea liberty freedom freedom of speech freedom of expression i really value all that stuff because those are the things that allow the voice of dissent anyway you know if you go to a place where you can't have a voice of dissent or you're vilified because you have a voice of dissent or jailed or whatever like that. Who wants to live in a society like that? We should be able to dissent, have dissenting voices, disagree, not see eye to eye on everything, but still be, uh, have hospitality and like, you know, uh, be able to get along as human. Yeah. No, a hundred percent agree. And it sucks because, I don't agree with all my friends, you know, like I have friends that are liberal. I have friends that are libertarian. I have friends that are right wing. I have friends that are gay. I have friends that are black, white, orange, green, Jewish, everything you could possibly think of. I have a friend from every walk of life. We don't all agree, but we're all friends. We're all friends. Skateboarding to me was like, you know, we used to talk about it all the time. It was like a micro. I always thought skateboarding, the culture and the actual 
people that were involved was like a microcosm of what the world wished it could be. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I grew up skating with Javante, Tony Henry, Mon Sandu, Phil Shaw, Tommy Guerrero, Steve Caballero, uh, Jason Jesse, uh, Corey O'Brien, John Fabricer. I mean, we're talking Filipino, Black, Mexican. Yeah. Uh, Middle Eastern, exactly. Irish, German, you name it. Like, it never mattered. You know what I mean? None of that shit ever mattered. You know? Mm. Never mattered. You know, one of the things Snowden talks about in Permanent Record, his book, um, and one of the things he articulates that I agree with is that, you know, we live in a day and age where you have a permanent record, right? So, you know, gone are the days of being in your youth or in a mindset where you were ignorant or uneducated, where you might have said something that's offensive that, you know, 50 years ago, you could just move, go to another town, start over, um, and you could essentially um, redeem yourself, right? You could grow, you could change. You know, right. we live in a culture now where like, you know, if you said something that someone finds offense with, then 50 years later or 20 years later, someone digs it up and then it gets broadcast. And now you're, you be, the, the, this uh, social media entity and all of its pool of people now says this is who you are to the world. I mean, who can who who would ever have a chance in a in that jury? You know, it's like so we need to accept. I think I, I would say as a human race, we need to have some emotional intelligence and really think about how we would like to be treated if. Because everyone has shit that someone could dig up yeah. that we would find offensive or question. And that's no one's above reproach in that regard. You know, right. so what are we going to do? Just all cancel each other out? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's fucking stupid. You know, yeah. people grow. People learn. People make mistakes. They, 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 they change. They grow. And I, I think that uh, we have to accept that, you know. Okay. And And – we need to forgive one another and ourselves and, and move on with life and not be so, you know, people, life is hard enough, right? I mean, fuck, dude, life is hard enough, you know? Yeah, it's hard enough. I, I like that. Know. I don't have all the answers, but no. I think Edward Snowden is a, you know, hero to the world. And I think that he has some really interesting things to say about, you know, I'm not saying he's perfect, but he certainly has sure. some interesting ideas about how humans could get along in a way that we could grow into a better society, you know? Well, I'm a, I'm a, I wake up in the morning and do about a 10 mile walk every morning. I'm going to listen to that one tomorrow, uh, Rogan. And, uh, let's end on a positive note. What, what good shit are you? How are you finding peace of mind right now? Like, are you still surfing, skating vert? Like, what what have you been doing outside uh, the old uh, pizza toss? Yeah, so I, you know, I have my business. I have a family. I'm married. My wife, Joan. I have two kids. My son, Zephyr's four. I have a daughter, Sabbath, who's two. Um, Sabbath rides a bike. She likes to skate. We go to the beach. Zephyr's into riding motocross and surfing and skating at four. 
Um, he's getting pretty good at riding dirt bikes um, and surfing, and he likes to skate, like I said. Um, so I spend a lot of time with them, and then uh, I still like to skate myself, and I like to surf. I do surf, and I ride motocross myself. Mm. I have my buddy Mike Lasella that I hang out with, Cab. We have a group called Moto Mondays. We all meet at the track on Mondays and ride. And then Mike and I and my buddy Carlos and um, whoever wants to join in on the fun, we do some trail riding too. Like we get into like single track and ride over logs and rocks and crazy. Like it's kind of like mental. Um, we just ride through stuff that actually my buddy Mike, I feel like he's always trying to kill me, but we just get through stuff and I'm like, did we just ride through that? You know, it's insane. Some of yeah, stuff. I've seen some of that shit. We do that. And then um, I still do, I do some meditation, you know, mm. like some mindfulness. I, uh, you know, just, I like to do that, quiet the mind. Like I sit in meditation and just. Um, you ever get uh, into TM? Transcendental meditation? Yeah. I haven't really, I don't have like a specific type but it's more just being mindful of the moment where I, you know, I acknowledge my thoughts or I acknowledge sounds or, or things I feel in my body. I just kind of try to very much bring it to the present moment. Mm. And I've had some really fantastic experiences. Not that that's what I'm after, but it's been helpful to me. Right. So I'll do that. And, um, Exercise is key. Yeah, and I actually, I've been, one of the things I do to just, the when I'm not skating, there's actually, near my house, there's this set of 136 stairs, and I do laps on it to, like, stay in shape. So I do, like, between 10 and 20 laps. No way. Just that. going up and down. Yeah, up and down. So I okay. do laps. Yeah. Uh, when the COVID first broke out, I, I thought it was the COVID-19 because you're supposed to gain 19 pounds. And then I got to that and I was like, no, this is ridiculous. You got to start exercising. So yeah. I started waking up like at the crack of dawn, like 530 and going on walks before anyone comes out and then just start to like jog, walk, walk, jog and just yeah. sweat really. Just try to sweat and uh, yeah. yeah, get a little bit back into shape but it's been it's been tough man up here i think is a little rougher than where you guys are for from what i'm hearing yeah i don't know man i i'm so inspired by mike tyson dude like you know he talks about he's like look getting in shape is just fitting in your clothes he's like getting conditioned is like coming out of your soul <laughs> really and i'm just like yeah i want to do that you know i don't know i'm i want to skate you know i would like to not because I have anything to prove or show, but I would love to film a video part. Hmm. You know, so many of my friends have died. Yeah. You know, and I think about when I'm running those stairs and I'm, you know, in pain or, or I'm in pain from skating or I eat shit or whatever. I always think like, you know, Phil or Kit or Curtis or Ruben or Jake or all these guys would love to feel this pain right now. They would love to feel what I yeah. feel tough. They would love to feel Vincent, Nava. These guys would all love to feel what I'm feeling, you know, mm -hmm. but. Uh, it's a good, I like that. That's a good. You know, I think about those guys, you know, I'm, I, I, I can't I, stop. I, the memory of my time with these guys, whether it be on the road or 
however we spent time together, I think I reflect on that and I think about it and it just pushes me to want to feel that pain even more and just to be present and hopefully, I don't know, I can, we can still stay connected. You know what I mean? I love that, man. Jake every day, man. I look at Jake every day. I look at him every day. I look at him in my house. I look at him when I leave my house and he just reminds me to not be, not be a fucking chump. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Don't I know it? Um, dude, that's inspiring. I'm stoked on, uh, this whole thing is rad to catch up with you. Uh, we end usually with like a song that you could choose to, to take us off into the sunset. Um, but I do want to just thank you so much. Uh, I consider you a smart human being, very intelligent, I might say. And, uh, I appreciate your wisdom and your thoughts on things that, uh, uh, aren't always easy to speak out on and um, but I do think that from my perspective the podcast situation has really helped have a conversation as opposed to this like shutting someone down like mm-hmm. hey we're going to talk about things might we might not even agree it sometimes but yeah. maybe I'm going to learn maybe you're going to learn like I don't know but this is the way that life should be not this other thing it's one it's one thing to say you're open minded. It's another thing to practice being open minded and listening to other people's ideas and being able to receive them without necessarily agreeing and still being friends, man. It's like it's Yeah, not that's worth, key. You know I mean? It's not worth oh. it. It's too much, you know, I don't have the answers, but I just know how I'm gonna treat people. And that's with openness and love, respect and um I'm, I'm, you know, I might not agree with everyone's ideas, but it doesn't matter. You know, yeah. I'm not, you know, I just find, I guess one of the things that really trips me out is like how certain people are of things, you know, I used to be that way. I used right. to think I was so certain that knew fucking everything. It's like, I don't know shit, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I'm not certain. I don't know what the fuck's going to happen tomorrow. You know, I have no idea. I was just talking to my buddy, Mark, who owns a restaurant right here. I've been here 10 years and it's like, I thought in 10 years ago, I'd have 10 of these by now. I still have one, you know? And as of back in March, I thought the whole world was going to end and my, I was going to shut my business down. You know, it's like, I have no fucking clue. Right. We're all trying to do our best to survive and argue about this, that, or the other thing, you know? What's your best selling pie? Pepperoni? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. 100%. 100%. It's in its own hemisphere. <laughs> I like the ones that you do that, uh, the occasional, I remember you brought them to, maybe it was Vans Combi or something, but there was like, it was like not an ordinary one, but it was banging. Yeah. Yeah. We've done some fun stuff, man. We did, uh, you know, Patagonia is a great brand. I love Yvonne Chouinard and we've been able to do some, you know, I, I became friends with some of the folks that work at Patagonia nice. and we've done a lot of catering, uh, for events on site at their headquarters and whatnot. But one of the things that's cool is they do like some sustainable, f- uh, fishing and they package salmon and trout and stuff. And it was cool. Like one time we were on, at headquarters and we did like a smoked salmon and ricotta with like lemon and capers and 
Right. It was cool. And it was rad because I saw Yvonne Chouinard there, the founder of Patagonia, and he's like, he reminded me of like Swenson or Fossil. He's like, you the guy that made the pizza? And I was like, yeah. He's like, it's fucking killer. <laughs> was so oh, that is Fausto. God damn it. Fun. Th- those things are so fun. You know, like yeah. that's the thing I love about pizza. And I bet Brad can tell you the same thing up at uh, Raymond's is like pizza is like skateboarding. It's endless in terms of what you can create. Yeah. It's like skateboarding trips. They're never, never ending. I like uh, Escape from New York's got the pesto garlic uh, potato one. It's fucking nice. bomb. Nice. Yeah. Well, cool. Uh, what uh, what should we what should we throw on the jukebox? What song should we listen to? Dude, I'm gonna put on Aretha Franklin. I say a little prayer. All right. Well, um, because I'm religious, but because I'm not, but. Uh, it's my son's favorite song. <laughs> well, I like it because I'm going to say a little prayer because uh, my fiance is going to make me watch the debate in 10 minutes and that's going to be fucking gnarly. What do you want, a rich white guy or a rich white guy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, fuck, dude, thanks. I appreciate it. And uh, if you got any podcast uh, recommendations or any like documentaries or anything like that, um, send me a text because i'm always fiending for like dude did you hear this or did you see this or anything yeah i will for a while i was tuned into this guy on npr guy Raz, and he does a podcast about how i built this and just being in business it's cool cool. stories but dude the guy from tofurkey the guy that started that company oh my god that dude you know he rented four (laughs) trees from some lady for 25 bucks a month for like seven years lived in a tree house while he was building that company and his kitchen was inside like some school cafeteria and it's insane that I mean, one's it, epic there's always crazy stories about so great to hear yeah. about some of these guys you think you're struggling and like just how creative people get with like their passion for whatever it is and i mean that guy i think for i think his accountant told him like this is the 20th year that you've lost one year. Oh my God. Anyway, and I'm stoked to be on um, talking Schmidt and I love what you're doing. And thanks dude. uh, Fuck. Well, stay safe and fucking healthy. And dude, hopefully I'm going to be down your way and I can stop by and get a slice and catch up in person. That'd be great. Yeah. Let me know. All right. And uh, your cousin, lived above me for fucking five or six years oh, nazir nazir yeah that's, that's insane one day he comes there he's like do you know salman aga and i was like yeah and i didn't know he knew anything about skateboarding he's like oh, that's my cousin i was like oh my god i'd known him for like five years we that's talked my, baseball that's my dad's brother's son he's my oh. first cousin he's a cool dude yeah, he's super cool he's about to his wife's about to have a baby oh they are good for his them. dad is gnarly Oh really? Oh yeah, his like one of the architects of the Iranian Revolution. Seventy. Fuck. Yeah, he's gnarly. Okay. He's insane, dude. He's still alive. All right. Yeah. Anyway. Well, thanks, dude. I appreciate it much. Um, take care. All right, man. Thank you. All right. Cheers. Yeah. Bye.
Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Schmidt. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. When you subscribe, you'll get notifications every Tuesday of new episodes the minute they become available. Also, please leave reviews and a five-star rating. It's the best way to help the show grow. All of the episodes will always remain free, but if you would like to help support the show, you can do so at TalkingSchmidt.com, where you can pick up some merchandise like t-shirts, beanies, hats, and stickers. The website has an entire archive of all of the episodes, with extra photos and videos. Email us with any suggestions, comments, or ways that the show may have improved your life at TalkingSchmidt at gmail.com. All interviews are conducted, edited, and produced by Schmidty. The intro music is Mary's Cross by the band Nature. A very special shout-out goes to the executive director, Cheryl Camisa. This is Talking Schmidt, where the Rolodex is deep, but the conversation is deeper.